Welcome back everybody to the X-Cast. The truth is in here. I'm your host, Tony Black, and I'm joined today by two very special guests because we're again going off book and we're not covering the actual X-Files episodes. It's another interview and I am really delighted today to be joined by Philip Malcolm and Lindsay Kearns. Hello. 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 And just to give you a little bit of a background, these these two people, as well as a lot of other um, really talented people involved, four, five years ago, uh, staged what is known as the X-Files The Musical. And it is a, I think, kind of a semi-legendary thing that's now on um, YouTube, all on YouTube. <laughs> and uh, it is an absolute joy of a fan-made show about the X-Files. And you two were key and instrumental to the whole thing, weren't you? You actually performed and, um, I imagine, helped create the whole thing, didn't you? Uh, yeah. I, uh, Lindsay and I and another friend named Aaron uh, worked together to write it, and then and I acted in it, um, and uh, Lindsay and Aaron helped produce it. Awesome. You, you played Mulder, didn't you, I think? Yes, I did. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but um, Phil uh, played Mulder, and uh, a lovely lady named Laura portrayed Scully and they actually that actually sparked a real life romance that led to them eventually getting married no yes yeah oh congratulations that's so nice to hear two years down two to go awesome (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so nice that's that's brilliant well you know in fairness you could tell there was some chemistry there when watching so you know, and you know, anyone might have thought that it was just Mulder and Scully. You know, just uh, you were you were acting really well, but yeah, I can see it. So that's that's great. That's really nice. Okay, but before we get talking about the show and and everything like that, I'm going to ask you, as I ask everyone on the X Cast, the what I call the five questions of X. So um, this is just to give a little insight into your fandom and what you think of the show and everything like that. So, and you can answer either of you can answer first, but um, I'll ask you first. What got you either? What got you into the X Files? Lindsay, you're up. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I, I think maybe Phil got me into the X-Files. Phil and Aaron and another friend of ours, Joanna, who helped produce the show, uh, had always been huge X-Files fans. And I am a scaredy cat and was always afraid of watching the X-Files. So at some point, we all went to high school together. And at some point, I think I was dragged into some someone's basement uh, where they forced me against my will to watch some X-Files episodes and I was terrified. That sounds really, and really disturbing, really dark moment in your it, life. <laughs> <laughs> it was like its own X-Files episode. Um, and <laughs> I, we, I, I can tell you that the first episode I watched was Squeeze, which I think mm. is one of the most terrifying episodes. And I've never looked at air vents the same way uh, <laughs> after that. And so, so I, um, when Phil and Aaron had the idea to do X Files the musical, um, it was on the heels of a couple other pop culture parody musicals that we had done. We we did Jurassic Park the musical and Doctor Quinn the musical, <laughs> and I I. I was excited about the possibilities, um, but I was the one who had to do the most homework going into it and, and force myself to watch more X-Files episodes um, and and face my fears going in. <laughs> we did it well, in fairness. Phil, how about you? I got introduced to the X-Files, I don't even remember when. I have some vague memories of being like eight years old and 
it being Sunday night and being at my parents' house watching a show that creeped the crap out of me. And at that, you know, I, I kind of watched it here and there throughout childhood. And then in high school, a group of us really, really um, started watching it. I think Joanna had a whole bunch of episodes copied onto VHS tapes because that was how you recorded things at the time. Mm, I remember. And so, <laughs> I think that we, she had some like endless supply of 90 minute VHS tapes um, full of episodes. And so we would go to her house and sort through this massive library and watch them. Um, and uh, that was when I really became a big fan, I would say early in high school. Um, but I've kind of liked spooky shows or things that are about the paranormal, you know, since, since childhood. So cool. Yeah. I, I also remember taping them on VHS. Yeah. It was the same <laughs> thing here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Child of the nineties. That's, that's what it was. So, okay, question two. Thank you for that. Question two is, um, what is your favorite episode of The X-Files? Lindsay. <laughs> my epi- my favorite episodes are the ones that are not so scary, <laughs> usually. <laughs> um, I love X-Cops as just oh, like a parody. Yeah. That's definitely in my wheelhouse. I love it whenever The X-Files is um, making fun of something or just kind of going down the comedy route. Um, so I would have to say that's my favorite episode. I don't know if that's a popular choice. Well, it should be because I th- I think it's massively underrated. The X Cops, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's so funny and and yeah. I think it's like um, that it was pretty innovative. I think for a drama like a sci fi drama to do something that was like such an obvious parody in the nineties. So uh, I I like it for that reason as well. Good choice. Good choice, Phil. I've got like a favorite uh, serious one and a favorite funny one. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> my my favorite serious one is Paper Hearts. Um, mm. I think a season four episode. It's the one where Mulder's uh, trying to track down the victims of a serial killer. Um, and he thinks that it's possible that his sister might be one of them. Um, and there's kind of this back and forth with the serial killer who's in prison at the time. And Mulder's sister stuff is probably the most compelling thing in the show and so any episodes that are about that and Mulder's kind of hopeless search to find her I really like but then for a funny episode I really love Arcadia uh, yes. I think it's season 6 just really really playing on the, the sexual tension with Mulder and Scully and they, they they get like they don't really play up the fact that they're annoyed with each other until probably seasons 5 or 6 um, but that's a great one mm-hmm. uh, just they're kind of back and forth so having them be married it's comedy gold yeah. isn't it really yeah <laughs> although i don't think i can see i can think of samantha quite the same way having watched the musical now i, I, <laughs> I just think of her as a goose <laughs> it's brilliant okay That's so very happy <laughs> we ruined it for you <laughs> yes you did thank you <laughs> question three then uh off the back of that what is your favorite season of the x-files you know, I <laughs> I am such a such my X-Files knowledge and viewing is always so spotty that I've never watched them in consecutive order, <laughs> nor do I have like a really good idea of what happens when. Um possibly also because my knowledge of the X-Files mythology is now like all mixed up with this crazy stuff that we invented for the musical. So I'm for sure the worst person to answer this question. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, say this one's on you, Phil. Lindsay, we need to make a, we need to make a chart 
of yeah. <laughs> season. And your favorite one will be whichever one has the least scary episodes. Yeah, that is true. I'm like, with, yeah, what's the least scary season? That's my favorite. I, would, um, I think probably season seven then. Because yeah. you okay. said X-Cops. And it's just most of the se- season is parody. So, yeah. <laughs> season seven is my favorite. Officially. <laughs> <laughs> It's because you love that terrible uh, video game episode that's in season seven. What's that uh, one called? Person shooter. Yeah. You haven't really seen it, Lindsay. I, I probably haven't seen it. Beyond your X Files knowledge, but <laughs> I, I think I, I actually I, all I ever hear is that that one's terrible, and I really like that. But then it's got the lone gunman in, and I there is no episode of the X Files that I I don't like with the lone gunman. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's that right. kind of thing. Um, Just kidding. It's great. I love it. Phil, how about you then? <laughs> Um, my favorite season is probably four. Mm. Um, it's just, I think the mythology is the most compelling on that one and they have the most, um, interesting stories. Um, six is pretty good too, though. Six doesn't really have many duds, um, Mm. which is Mm. great. You know, it's tough to pull that off with a a season that has over 20 episodes, but that one's pretty consistent all the way through. So one of the two of those, probably four, I guess, at the end of the day. I've I've often said four myself actually either three two three or four but four's got some tremendous episodes but yeah good choices good choices and you you covered your lack of knowledge well there Lindsay to be fair <laughs> you got away <laughs> with that okay then question four uh, who is your favourite character on the show now this doesn't have to just be Mulder or Scully uh, it, it can be anybody even if it's like a guest character my favourite character is Skinner um, <laughs> <laughs> only because he like. He has like one emotion and it's um, like stressed out anger. Frustration. Yeah, even when he's on their side, he's always like, my ass is on the line. And I don't know how it's on the line, but it always is. You guys sent that up so well, though, in the musical. You, you, Skinner was, I mean, it was all great, but Skinner was by far the funniest character in that entire show because he was you just took it to the nth degree with him you know just having my ass is on the line all the time it's great that that performance um by by Topher was just truly brilliant and he consistently through all of the rehearsals would crack us up and he just brought so much to the role that I think a lot of that was in the script but a lot of it was truly just what he brought to the role and um uh, he yeah he was very brave in in many regards. He was willing to get like mostly naked on stage in front of a crowd of families. So bravo to him. He got stuck underground for a long time. <laughs> this is my favorite story about the show. <laughs> yeah. Really, he actually did. I first, thought that was a metaphor. Yeah, so the, the first night of the show actually got rained out. Yes, um, I'm going to ask you about like, that. Yeah. At like a thousand people or something sitting um, outside watching the show. And part of our set was in the middle of the audience. We had dug this massive hole and covered it with trapdoors um, for some surprise to come out of it later. And Topher was down there at the time. And uh, so the show gets rained. The show's about to get rained out. The storm's coming in. We tell everyone they need to leave. So people are just like standing up in this area and milling around and taking their time getting out of there because it hasn't actually started raining really hard yet. And we found out later that he was stuck down there for like an hour or more just in this like terrible, like psychopaths hole. And Topher had a flashlight down there. We had given that to him because I I, like when the show is going at, 
properly, he was still going to have to spend 15 or 20 minutes in that hole. Like, that was our whole plan. Uh, but so we had a flashlight down there and, uh, we also had a, there was another character that came out of that hole and that character had a prop and the prop was the book, the Da Vinci code. So yeah. according to lore, Topher was just down there for an hour with that, with that flashlight reading the Da Vinci code. <laughs> I don't know what's worse being trapped underground in a hell hole or having to read that book. Exactly. <laughs> he was so committed to the surprise though of him coming out of the ground. We, I know this is a diversion from the, the question, but I have to mention that we were so excited about this hole. Uh, we had like 12 people digging it the day before the first show. And we were like, when someone, when Topher comes out of this hole, everyone is going to gasp. It's going to be the biggest surprise. It's going to be a showstopper. And the truth is that, like, when Topher came out of the hole, no one looked surprised. It was like everyone clearly knew there was a man in that hole. Yeah. <laughs> that read the Da Vinci Code the whole time. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Doing the voices. Lindsay, then, what about you? What's, who, who would you say your favorite character is? Well, one of my favorite uh, guest actors is was uh, portrayed by Luke Wilson, um, yeah. in the episode Bad Blood, uh, which is also a, I'm sure, a popular episode mm. and one of my favorite episodes. But Gillian Anderson's I... favorite episode, actually, Bad Blood. Oh, really? Yeah, that's the one she loves the most. Oh, well, we do have a lot in common <laughs> now that you mention it. Yeah, so I think that's just a really fun, um, memorable character. And uh, I also, I mean... Even though this is cliche, I do have to say Mulder is probably my... I mean, obviously, it's very interesting that he's portrayed by David Duchovny, and, you know, I I, I like that about him. But um, I also just think that his quest and his search for truth is sort of... I mean, it's clearly, like, the engine that moves the show along. So um, it's... If you don't buy into Mulder, then you really don't buy into the X-Files. So I think, for me, he is the heart of the show. And I I think for most people, he is as well. Yeah. It was was never that, even though the, you know, the last two seasons aren't necessarily always as bad as people think, it wasn't the same when Mulder wasn't there, was it really? So, no, I I understand that. Yeah. Okay, well, my final question then uh, here is, um, do you have a particularly favorite moment from the show or something a scene or anything from the X-Files that you just remember and you love? There's Mine is probably not very sincere, but there's a moment in season nine, um, and this is like kind of when the show has started to, to really creep toward the end, um, and there's a mythology episode, I don't even remember which one it is, but um, like Monica's just starting to get caught up on the mythology in the episode, and and she's just finding about finding out about the end of season six, I think it is, or maybe it's five, where Scully discovers that spaceship. I think it's the end of five into six. Um, and she discovers that spaceship that has writings on it from like every major religion. And um, Monica asks her, uh, she says something like, "Yeah, but all it had was what what was on it anyway." And it gets like deathly serious. And Jillian Anderson, to her credit, musters a lot of strength to bring gravity to the line. Words. Powerful words. <laughs> <laughs> like, I remember. I remember. I think that's either 
Provenance or Providence mid season yeah. nine because that that's where they go back to the spaceship from Biogenesis. So yeah, yeah I. <laughs> there's just like this pause before she says it everything gets quiet for a second and you expect like just this big delivery and she's like they were words powerful (laughs) (laughs) and no no one is like what everyone is like that makes sense that is, that's a problem. I'm, I'm not going to be able to look at that again in the same. I love the way you're both making me see the show in a different way. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, Lindsay, I, Lindsay, go on then. What about you? Um, this, this is not very specific, but I love whenever uh, Scully is performing an autopsy um, because of the pseudoscience that is whatever is going on on that table is has nothing to do with science. It's just like... <laughs> pulling out organs and weighing them and throwing them around like it it just and again I think it is a tribute to what a great actress Gillian Anderson is is that she always makes whatever science she's doing seem real but it is funny if you start to just kind of like calculate how much time she spends doing these horrible gross autopsies and uh I I I think that's fun and that's also why I I think for better or worse we devoted an entire song in X-Files mm. the Musical to autopsies. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it did a lot to move the plot along in the musical. <laughs> it may have been a misstep, but we just really liked the idea of her talking about her heart while she was holding a literal heart and uh, <laughs> going through those motions. I, th- um, I think one of the, one of the best moments um, in the show... Um, the, 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 the X-Files is when I think it's Bad Blood actually again where she's doing an autopsy and it's from I think it's the, the side of it where it's Mulder's so when, it, when it's his perspective and she's weighing or it might be Scully's perspective she's weighing like the liver and the heart and everything and she's doing it with such I don't know if you remember this scene, but she's doing it so fed up. She's like, liver is like four pounds, just puts it on. <laughs> and then all, all the intestines fall off. And it's just her look as if to say, oh, God, this is my life. <laughs> I think that sums it up, really. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I, do um, also, I love how Mulder always makes her do autopsies. Like, it's always <laughs> like, like, Scully, you need to do an autopsy. And she's like, okay, well, I better schedule it. And he's like, no, right now. It's just right <laughs> yeah. now. And this case is going to completely fall together if we can just figure out how big that Cheeto was that he choked. (laughs) (laughs) And then he'll do the whole classic Mulder walking off and he's not going to tell her where he's going. He just goes off and she goes, where are you going? He's just to see someone, you know, and then she's left having to get the hands in guts and he's off. No, I know. It's it's a poor Scully. It was a shame. Okay, that's the uh, five questions of X. Great answers, guys. Uh, you've you've really hit on things a lot of other people haven't there, which is which is awesome. So this is the part now which you've all been looking forward to, which is where we talk about um, X Files the Musical. So I'd like you all now to go to YouTube and type in X Files the Musical and go and watch it and that's my best piece of advice before we before you listen to us carry on talking because we're going to get into into the show so yeah go and watch it it's uh, it's a great experience and um let's listen to a little bit of a clip seriously telling me that the two of you are not friends with benefits of course we're friends with benefits oh, yeah. and the benefits are trust and loyalty <laughs> you know what no, Scully and I are FBI partners. We couldn't date even if we utterly 
passionately, really deeply, forever want to. Which we don't. <laughs> I mean, uh, what are you basing this off of anyways, Chad? I mean, yeah, we spend all of our time together, and we can finish each other's thoughts, and we, you know. We, we share we yum. We share yum, but, you know, that's, that's what good FBI partners do, and that will never change. No. We wouldn't want to ruin our perfect partnership. That's why we'll always be totally... Platonically. Us. us. <laughs> We've been together, seems like forever. Forever with you sounds okay to me. And we're always fighting, wronging and righting. And daying and nighting so happily. But whatever happens to you, whatever happens to me. So you've touched a little bit on this, Lindsay, earlier, but um, what was the genesis of the idea? Because I know you'd done musicals before The X-Files and you were, as part of the um, the, the theatre group that you're in, the Colonel Mustard House group. What was the right. inspiration for the for the doing X-Files, the musical then? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Perhaps Phil remembers more clearly, but I, I do know that um, Phil and Aaron and our producer, Joanna, just had this deep, deep love for The X-Files. And... I was aware of that, uh, but they, I think we finished doing Dr. Quinn the Musical, which was truly like my dream <laughs> show <laughs> to parody, and so I think it was their turn <laughs> to, to parody their favorite show, uh, and so um, that's my memory of it, but Phil, what, what do you think really sparked this one specifically? Well, you know, at the beginning, um, when we were doing those first musicals, everything was it wasn't just like, we would never think like, well, what's the funniest thing that we could turn into a musical? It was always like, what's the thing that we are currently really interested in and think is funny? Um, or, or you know, and so Jurassic Park, Aaron and I were really big fans of, I mean, everyone's a big fan of Jurassic Park. Yeah. And Dr. Quinn, we had people who, for whatever reason, were watching through that series at the time. 
I don't know why. <laughs> you know, I can't tell you that Joanna, Joanna somehow got the DVDs, and then one night we started watching it, and we, we realized it was the funniest thing ever. And, like, we loved it as much as we laughed at it. And so uh, that began my lifelong passion for Dr. Quinn. Yeah, so I think, I mean, and then X-Files is just something that, as a group of friends, we all also were interested in. So it was just a matter of, you know, those were the three most formative pop culture things for us at the time. And to add to that, I would say that all three of those, um, all three of those TV shows slash movies, it was more than a story and it was more than characters. It was really like a world that we enjoyed exploring and a world that you could build out other stories in. And I think that's what made the X-Files so great for a musical is that there's this whole mythology that is a foundation for you to jump off of. And so, um, yeah, I think that was part of part of the appeal. Yeah, I think I think as someone watching it, and you know, as as a huge fan of the show for twenty odd years, watching what you did with it was you can tell that it was made with a lot of love and a lot of understanding actually of the show. In that, obviously, it's all parody, and you you know you take all the heightened comedic bits from the characters in the show and you really punch it up. But I think without a knowledge of what you were parodying and an understanding of the show and, and a love for it, I don't think it would have been done as well. And that's why I think, you know, I was laughing and I got, I got all the jokes. I got all the in jokes, all the references. And it was, it was lovely. It was just lovely to sit there and watch it because you're just, you're thinking as a fan, it's just, you can just feel the love. And I think that's, that's what you get from it. Thank you. That's so great to hear. I think that it makes a difference that, that, like we talked about, these are things that we just already were interested in. I think if we had sat down and we were like, you know, we're going to write a, um, uh, you know, like a Breaking Bad musical or something. Um, but I do love Breaking Bad. It wasn't, that's, it wouldn't have been the same thing because the research is all like you go and you find your six jokes that you need to put in that are referential. Um, but when you're writing a show that you really, really enjoy the source material, um, it a lot of those things just kind of happen. Uh, you don't necessarily have to think about which jokes or which references you want in there because they're all kind of naturally part of your experience. You just, you know, you kind of know them. The best thing, the best like comparison I can give is that this year the show we did was, it was a, a parody of the Brothers Karamazov. Oh, fantastic. Massive mm. Russian novel. And it was the same sort of experience. You know, you don't have to go through and like research what all of the important parts are because if it's something that's just been part of your like cultural understanding, they're just there. And, and I think that, I think it helped writing the show because, like you mentioned, it helped us to make a show that was a parody, but a really, really loving parody, and not mm. just. It would be funny to do a musical on this. Mm. So, there was, there was definitely a difference. Well, I, I was curious while I was watching it and thinking about all the people in it. How did you all come together then? Because the Colonel Mustard um, House itself seems to have a fascinating history about a, a man called Albert Watkins, I believe. In um, <laughs> in it's Lincoln, isn't it? Lincoln, Nebraska, where 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 you're based. Tell, tell, tell me a bit more about, about the Mustard House and how you came together as a group. Yeah. Um, well, you know, like the X-Files, uh, some of this is history and some of this is mythology. <laughs> um, we, the, the sort of Cliff's Notes version of the story is that uh, I was living in the house, um, I suppose, back in 2007. And we had six people living in this giant, rambling, Victorian 
mansion that uh, it was a historical home in in Lincoln, Nebraska, near the university uh, downtown. And we were throwing a Christmas party and we thought, oh, wouldn't it be so fun if we did a Christmas play in the middle of the Christmas party? And so um, I was a theater major and interested in playwriting and all those things. So I just wrote a fun little play. It was really only rehearsed once right before the party and no one was off book. And it was truly kind of terrible, but also really (laughs) magical um, because it was so spontaneous and, uh, it was very funny sometimes accidentally and sometimes on purpose. And, uh, it ended with everyone singing Auld Lang Syne together, like a hundred people, not maybe not a hundred, maybe like 60 people in mm-hmm. the attic this mansion singing Auld Lang Syne together, like truly from the bottoms of our hearts, like really meaning it. And that was like such a crazy experience that then after that, we were like, oh, we got to do more. And Aaron approached me and was like, I want to do another play up here and I want it to be science fiction. So Aaron and Phil wrote a brilliant parody of There Will Be Blood and it was called There Might Be Blood. (laughs) But it took place on Mars and it was about oil drilling on Mars. And Excellent. it was one of the funniest things ever. And unfortunately, we don't have a we don't have video of it. That's uh, a shame. But then, yeah. And after that, we do have plenty of embarrassing pictures from it. So that's that's the good <laughs> news. But uh, after that, we uh, ha- had always joked, "Oh, wouldn't it be so funny if we did a Jurassic Park the musical?" I think that had become an inside joke for us. Um, and, and I'd also like to note that this was before there were any other well-known Jurassic Park, the musicals out there. (laughs) Uh, and then Phil, because Phil is a musician and a composer was like, well, I could actually, we could actually do this. And I don't know if you, do you want to pick it up from there, Phil? Sure. Yeah. So we, um, I think this was our senior year of college when we did Jurassic Park, the musical, um, which was a terrible time to do it. Um, Basically, what had happened was we told enough people that we were definitely going to do this, that it was going to be really embarrassing if we didn't. Um, And so we set to work trying to write this show. And so Aaron and I um, put a script together. And at the time, the joke was kind of like the joke at the very beginning of some of these musicals was that we didn't really know what we were doing. Um, And so we put together like the smallest little ragtag orchestra that we could find and we scored all the parts wrong um, and just sort of like just went with it. Um, And I think that we put that show on, I mean, we put some more time into the rehearsal for that or at least into the prep. I think that we prepped for that show for like a week to a month. We rehearsed it for a day Um, (laughs) and then put it on. But, you know, it was just... um, it was just about committing to something no matter how goofy and ridiculous it was and then making sure that we actually pulled it off. And Lindsay produced it um, and pulled a lot of her friends in. And that show was kind of the first, the first like jumping off point for us to, to grow and, and grab more people um, because there were just so many friends that got excited about being involved in this in some capacity. And, you know, whether it was like, Hey, I can make a giant paper mache egg or, you know, like I have this weird collection of raptor masks in my basement. I'll bring them. Um, it was it, you know through that we were able to to start building this community up, um, and then from there it just kind of it just kind of took off, um, and we 
just gathered more and more volunteers and more and more people who are interested in doing um, creative stuff. And a lot of people who maybe didn't realize that they um, were creative, um, you know, didn't otherwise have experiences that they could say, oh yeah, I always did theater in college or whatever. You know, a lot of it was just like, you know, I, I work construction, so I've never been involved in theater, but I can build a set for you. Um, I'd love to have some beers over the weekend. And so that's kind of, um, that kind of became our, our calling card was, it was a great opportunity for just anyone to find a place in the arts. Um, and, and we just ran with it. So, yeah. And it truly was just a community like that. First and foremost, it was a community of friends who enjoyed hanging out together and being creative together. And then from that, uh, sprang like a very organic kind of theater company of sorts. Um, and, and part of the, uh, the history of Albert Watkins and all that is that we did some, uh, investigation into the history of the house itself because we were sort of fascinated by that. And we found that, um, it was built by this man who was like a philosopher and a historian and a teacher and a writer and like an all around crank, uh, named Albert Watkins, uh, in the late 1800s, which I'm sure sounds very recent to someone from the UK, but in Nebraska, <laughs> that's a very, very old house. And, uh, he was, it's funny because like his obituary is like a, a lot of people saying like, well, he had a lot of strong opinions and he sure <laughs> thought, you know, <laughs> he sure thought a lot of things that made people maybe kind of mad, <laughs> but he was very particular. Like people didn't have a lot of great things to say about him. Um, except it was clear that he had contributed a lot to um, writing about Nebraska history and he was very politically involved and, and stuff like that. So we always thought he was a fascinating character and he sort of became our um, patron saint of sorts because we knew that he would hate everything that we were doing at the <laughs> Colonel Mustard House. So we just did it for him in a way. And that kind of became a part of the spirit of like, uh, Albert Watkins, uh, was sort of a person who stood against, uh, shenanigans and creativity and friendship and all of these things. And yet, because of him, because of what he did, which was build this house, we're able to do all of this. So um, that is sort of the the uh, the mythology of the mustard. It's possible that his purgatory or hell is to like wander that house as a ghost and see what we're doing with it right now. The fun thing about the, I mean, the thing that's like truly. Ex like special about the experience of putting on a show at the mustard is that there's this week or two before the show that we call camp mustard where the entire house gets filled with people who are making things. So you walk through the house and it's full of garbage and it's out of control and people are like putting together paper mache masks in one corner, painting giant signs in another corner. Someone brought a bounce house to the backyard just so <laughs> people could have fun. And, you know, people are bringing in food donations and um, sleeping there because they're working on costumes and props late into the night. And it becomes like this uh, just circus of crazy creativity uh, that is also like why people um, 
come out of it with such fun friendships. It sounds like a really cool place that brings community and a sense of community and, and, yeah, and friends together that it's that's just grown organically that's that's brilliant that's that's really great and like you say it's come out of this this interesting irony about you know albert not wanting not wanting anything like this so exactly. yeah that's what makes it even greater just going back to the uh, to the x-files musical itself you guys um ran a kickstarter back in 2011 didn't you before the show to actually um get some funds to help with this now this was this was when kickstarter wasn't really as well known as it is now so was that a successful campaign and how how did that come about yeah it was um so like you said this was kind of like the very beginning of kickstarter and for x-files we knew that we um we're going to need more than the budget than we that we had used for previous shows and by budget for previous shows what i mean is that for Dr. Quinn, we asked everyone in the cast to bring $20, and that was the budget. And a lot of people... <laughs> so so that we knew that we would need, I don't know, like $1,000 or $1,500 or something. So we we went to Kickstarter um, just to see if we could crowdfund it. It was kind of like, it was kind of on a whim, I think. I don't think that we really expected that we were going to hit our goal, um, because we just didn't have any sense of, of how it would work out. And we... I want to say our goal was like $1,500 and we got like 4400 or something like that. That's great. We ended up getting picked to be, it was like, the, this was the very beginning when if you were a staff pick by um, Kickstarter, it meant that like one of the six employees of Kickstarter was combing through all the pages and, and legitimately really liked yours. Um, and so it helped that we kind of got on their front page for a while. I think NPR did a story on Kickstarter at the time and use some clips from our stuff. We were just kind of right place, right time, I think, for that one. Mm. Um, it was just right as it was starting to take off. So we had a really successful campaign. Um, and some of it was just, you know, the it helps when the joke of your show is the title, um, and people are able to just immediately know what that thing is and yeah. know whether it's funny. But um, Yeah, but yeah. and X-Files fans, X-Files fans really came in in droves to support that project. Um, yeah. And... It was really cool to uh, be introduced to the the wider X Files fan community all around the world. So, did you get people from yeah from across the world donating? Did you get did you get people from all over the world or all over the, the states anyway? Actually, come to the show. We uh, did. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, we we did crazily. Uh, a lot of people that we didn't know actually. Uh, maybe not a lot, maybe like 10 to 12 people that we didn't know just drove, drove there, uh, to see it. And, um, that was really cool. But we also did a live video stream and I think mm. that we had as many as 15,000 people, wow. uh, check in on the live stream. That's brilliant. That shows that it, you know, it reached out there and, uh, must've been really nice to see people who, like you say, you didn't know fans who, you know, maybe donated or just had heard about it just come down and watch yeah it was really cool we actually even had somebody i lived in the house for about a year after that show and we had somebody show up from california because they were friends with a fan of the show from the uk and they had told them that while they happened like they were traveling cross country and their friend had told them that while they were in nebraska they needed to go to lincoln <laughs> find this house so we just had these like two random strangers show up maybe six months later um, <laughs> and check the place out. And we didn't get murdered, which is awesome. That's good. <laughs> uh, always good. Yeah. 
that's brilliant, though. That's the, like I say, it, it, like I said earlier, there's like a, an element of legend about it. You know, go go to the house where they they did uh, the X Files musical, but obviously it was it it was outside. It was an outside production, and yeah. you had the uh, you had the misfortune, as you mentioned before, of having a thunderstorm rain off halfway through the first night. So it must have been quite challenging to stage it all outside even in the in the summer yeah well that's the thing about nebraska is that um it's in tornado alley as they call it so it's a very um the weather is extremely unpredictable and so every time we've done these outdoor musicals we're basically like praying and doing like no rain dances uh just to hope that it you know it, it holds off and uh knock on wood all of our performances except for this one performance of the X-Files have been rain-free, but there's almost always, like, lightning on the horizon, Um, and you just don't know if it's going to come your way, and uh, so it was truly crazy, um, because we had gone to so much work to put this show together, and thank goodness we were planning on performing it for two nights in a row, but when we had to cancel the show halfway through on night one, we all just kind of I, I mean, it was really depressing, honestly, because we were like, we put so much work into this and now it's ruined. Uh, but then because we had good weather the next day, I think we came in with so much joy and energy and excitement that we actually, we knew we'd be able to perform the show. And um, I think that made night two even more magical because we were like, this is our one shot and it's going to be the best we've ever done it. Yeah. Well, in fact, our our uh, dress rehearsal had been rained out too. Oh my god! So, um, our rough. dress rehearsal there had been a huge storm, and what we had to do was there was like a church office across the street um, from the place where we did the show, and we all crammed in there, like all the cast and the orchestra, and the room was maybe like the size of three bedrooms. It was really small. That's where we did the dress rehearsal. So that second night that we did it was really probably the first time that we had top to bottom done the show without any stops yeah um, and uh there was a there's a lot of adrenaline involved in that but yeah. worked out. i believe what happened the first night is when it got it was so disappointing when it got rained out because this is like the first time we'd actually built a big set and um i think there were probably about 100 volunteers involved in some way with putting it on and uh i remember distinctly that Right after we called off the show, Lindsay came up to me and with, like, the most seriousness I've ever seen on her face said, we need to go buy a lot of beer right now. (laughs) That was, like, that was, like, priority number one in her life at that moment was we need to get as much beer as we can for everyone because they're going to need it. (laughs) That's the best way to react to an an act of nature getting in the way. (laughs) <laughs> that's producing at its finest right there <laughs> my my background as well is theater um back in the day and watching it considering that was your first go in terms <laughs> really the first proper go the amount of of mistakes are almost non-existent it really runs through really well considering and that so that's a testament to how to how well and how much like you say Phil how much adrenaline was there and, and everything because you you wouldn't know That's so great to hear. I I also want to point out that, like, a lot of the actors had never acted in anything before. Like, we kind of had this policy of casting people who were just naturally charismatic, but not necessarily 
actors or theater people. So we had a lot of people on stage who had done theater, whether in high school or college or whatever, but we also had a lot of people on stage who were just like, I got asked to do this, so I'm <laughs> doing it. <laughs> we had a, we used to cast, well, we still often do cast everything like you would a Hollywood movie. So like, it was like, well, we've got these 10 roles. Who would be a great Scully? Right. And then would, yeah. Instead of auditioning them, we would just call them up and be like, we're sure you're going to be good. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got faith in you. Yeah. Yeah, we've never we've never done auditions for anything. It's always just been, uh, yeah, it's it's always been fated somehow that someone should play a character. That's that's a but again, it's all part of the organic kind of way that I think your your group runs really, and and the sense of of fun and and the fact that you you do it all with a with a sense of a sense of humor and a sense of you know tongue in cheek, but with without with still producing something you know really good and really and really enjoyable and i think you know i was going to say next the music in it was great you know the songs were really good and it was really well orchestrated and and everything like that so what you wrote did you write all of the songs and and in terms of actually how they were they were performed and everything who was involved in all that yeah so um the lyrics were a combination of aaron and Lindsay and i uh the three of us all worked on them i think for the most part it would be just like one of us would write the lyrics to a song. I don't think we collaborated too much on them, maybe a little bit. Um, but then, um, but then I, I took those and I wrote the the melodies, um, and I did most of the orchestrations. Um, we had a friend uh, named Nick Dahlquist who was just living at the house with me at the time, who was a um, a music student, and he did a little bit of work on them. And then Ben K. Skinner, um, who often conducts our orchestra, uh, mm. orchestrated some a little bit of the music as well. So. It was kind of, um, I mean, this is the thing that we really can only do at a certain time in your life when you have a lot of free time. <laughs> but um, but we put together, you know, the, all the music and the script for that, I want to say in, what do you think, I, at least the music we probably did in just like a, a few months, Lindsay, does that sound about right? Yeah, I'm not sure what the timeline was on that, but I'm, it, it, it was quickly. shorter than you'd think. Yeah, and we didn't, uh, just didn't sleep very much for a <laughs> Yeah, and I actually, I don't know how, I, I I don't even really recall the creative process exactly on that one. I think that we just, we had so many conversations at the beginning about, like, what is this about? What are the characters? What's the story? Like, what's the, gen- what are the jokes? That I think out of that, just the songs flowed really naturally, because mm-hmm. we knew the kind of tone that we were going for. Some of the songs, I would say, if we could go back... We might lose a couple of the songs because <laughs> the show is definitely too long, um, but uh, it's probably a lot easier to absorb on YouTube, actually, than in person when you're sitting on the, the ground watching it. Uh, but we um, had a lot of fun writing those songs, and they, they remain some of my favorite songs that we've ever written for any show. I, yeah, you you can see you can you can see the fun in them. I think my they're they're all really good, but I think my favorite is the the Lone Gunman Barbershop Quartet. Yeah, I love that <laughs> conspiracies. <laughs> <Isn't it good? laughs> yeah, I forgot. we actually had one other person, Alan Gilbert. I think wrote that song. He was a he's a friend of ours who's a computer programmer and also happens to sing Barbershop. Um, and so we put that in, and that is not in my wheelhouse at all. So we we went to we said here are the words 
you've got to make it happen because we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> and, uh, he, I like you know, what he came up with. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Hearing that barbershop quartet for the first time, I think we heard it two days before the first performance. And it was such a jolt of energy to everyone because it sounded so good. Like they just, those four guys came in and just killed it. And I couldn't even believe it because we were still trying to put everything else together. Uh, and we were like at a point where we were like, I don't know if this show's going to happen, but then they knocked that out of the park. We were like, Oh yeah, we have a show because we have this one really killer song for sure. So, uh, that was so exciting. Yeah. It, it, they were all, they were all great. They were all really good though. Some real, some real showstoppers in there. And obviously, you know, and, a fun story weaving its way through and, and lots of nods to, you know, the, the central romance and lots of characters popping up. So it was, you know, it was just fun all, all along the way. And I imagine that same sense of, that same sense of fun and parody is in a lot of your other work, because obviously, you know, like you said, there was, there was the Dr. Quinn one and, and Jurassic Park. And I, I believe there was Spider-Man, the musical after, after oh, this, right. <laughs> um, what, what other shows that have, been, have, have come since the X-Files? Well, after we did the X-Files, we wanted to challenge ourselves to do something that was not a parody, something that was just utterly original. And um, I, I will say to our credit with Dr. Quinn and with the X-Files, we, we were never parodying like a specific story. Um, we were creating our own story and, and bringing a lot that was wholly original to it. But we were using these characters and this world that someone else had created. And we were also relying on a lot of referential humor. And so just to kind of like grow as writers, we were like, let's do something that's totally original. It's going to be about Nebraska. It's going to be about pioneers settling on the Great Plains. And also to make it completely ridiculous, let's make it a choose your own adventure musical that takes place over 10 square blocks downtown. And so... <laughs> I don't know how we ever thought that we could pull that off, but somehow we did. And we, that, that, that led to our next musical, which was called gods of the prairie, um, which had its own sort of deep mythology. Uh, and Phil, do you want to talk a little bit about gods of the prairie? Yeah. So gods of the prairie, um, we, I guess I, I would say we probably borrowed a little bit because we took the structure of the, um, the ring cycle. Um, we took that kind of basic story and, and then wrote it into like a, a totally different kind of hero's journey that we had in the, in the prairie, but we did base it around some Norse mythology. Um, and, uh, we, you know, as Lindsay mentioned, we did it as a choose your own adventure. So what we did is we set up, you know, maybe six or seven kind of primary backbone scenes to the show. Um, and the first one and the last one you really needed to see in order, but the other ones you could see in whatever order you wanted, and they still made sense. Um, and we basically split all... We had everyone watch the first part of the show. It was about 30 minutes long, and then we split the audience out all over downtown. Um, and we had we had uh, those scenes take place uh, all over down there, and then they came back for the last one. Um, and... Uh, the the scenes went on a loop, so you knew that you know if you showed up at one of the scenes at eight twenty, it would be going on then. But if you missed it, you could come back at like eight forty. Yeah. Um, but then we also the thing that really you know world building is something that we've really kind of latched onto and really enjoyed. Uh, and so with that story, we just had so much material that we felt like we weren't able to fit into a normal. Um, 
three-act show that we we set up all of these tertiary scenes. Um, they're sort of like, we, we kind of compared them to being side quests in a video game. Um, and they were hidden all over throughout that neighborhood. There were probably a dozen of them. And as you're walking around, you could just stop and watch one of them. They'd be about five minutes and it'd be like a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of mythology um, that was kind of tangential to the story, but made you appreciate kind of what was going on a little bit more, maybe, or, you know, understand some in-jokes later or something like that. Um, and then we built a map that we gave to everyone. We redrew the neighborhood as this, like, reimagined um, kind of prairie of the gods and um, encourage people to go and explore all of these different locations and scenes that we kind of spread out throughout. Um, that was a really fun show. It's probably the most experimental show we've ever done. Um, but it was a really good time. It sounds really yeah. innovative. You know, it sounds really interesting and clever. Yeah, it was, um, I think for for many people, it remains their favorite Colonel Mustard show um, just because it was this experience um even more than just a story it was a whole it was a whole experience and then after that we did uh we brought back um Jurassic Park the musical again and and did it bigger and better it was uh, in 3D wasn't it <laughs> yeah, we, we actually completely Correct. rewrote the script and score from top to bottom which might not have been a great idea for our sanity um <laughs> but but it was a, was a lot of fun. It ended up being a totally different show than the first one. And it, that also was somewhat innovative in that, like, the staging is that we had the audience in the middle, and then the show happened around them in 360 degrees. So basically the audience gets to go through these walls and through the Jurassic Park gates and sit in the middle and uh, experience the show all around them. So they're sort of in it. And, and that was how we explained why it was 3d <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it sounds great it's it sounds really good in in terms of then what's what's next then for for the colonel mustard group and what obviously you mentioned the brothers karamazov that you that you did um right what's the what's the next big plan for it is there is there a new show on the horizon or new shows yes we are currently working on writing uh a uh well, Phil, are we talking about what it is, or is it a secret? I'm not sure. Okay, at saying what it is. Okay. Uh, do you <laughs> want to go ahead? Is and this an exclusive? It? Am I getting an exclusive here? <laughs> getting, you actually are. This is exciting. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the show we're working on right now, uh, at least the working title, is Robin Hood and Her Merry Men and Women. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Is uh, it's a Robin Hood story, um, but it is it's set in the West. Um, cool. It's, it's a western, and um, it's a and we've got a, a female Robin Hood, um, and it, you know it's it's a bit of you know it's kind of a spin on the Robin Hood tale. Um, some of it are some of the tropes that you probably experience with the um, with the legends, the robbing from the rich, giving to the poor, the you know the kind of um, importance of land and of fighting you know corrupt leaders, but. Um, but it also, you know, I think takes a lot of Robin Hood things and put, turns them on their head and inverts them, um, which we're pretty excited about. So, um, so yeah, Lindsay, anything else that I'm missing on it? No, that's, that's it. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're currently writing it and, um, 
we, it's going to sort of take place in the same universe that we created for Gods of the Prairie. So something that we're kind of interested in is like building out this world that we created back then and uh, telling more stories that sort of live in it. Like it's a little bit of a a magical old west that borrows a little bit from history and a little bit from mythology. And uh, yeah, so we're excited to see how it goes. It's going to be um, epic and adventurous and um, it, it should be funny, um, but I think it will also be maybe a little more dramatic than some of our past work. It sounds like a really cool blend of mythology and uh, yeah, different styles and, and everything. It, uh, brilliant. It, that sounds great. And I'm, I'm quite honored to have it as an exclusive on, on the Xcast. There <laughs> we go. Um, okay. Well, that's, that's great guys. That, that was really interesting stuff about, about your, your company, about the X files and about everything else you've done. So, uh, yeah, it's been really, really nice to, to find out, uh, more. Moving on, I'm going to ask you then. I'm going to a couple of different things before we before we finish. Part of the show is that every time we get guests on, we ask them, um, "Do you believe in?" And normally, when we're covering episodes, we tend to do whatever the paranormality is of the the specific episode. But I'm just going to ask you both simply: Do you believe in the paranormal? I do. I think I do. Um, I've I've heard enough stories uh, of paranormal happenings. I mean, I, I suppose. The paranormal. Well, wow, Tony, you've really gotten us into quite the jam here with this question. It's a big question, in fairness. Yeah, the paranormal really—it's quite broad, isn't it? It is. Um, I would say yes. I certainly believe in like a spiritual dimension, and uh, I believe in God. I believe in, uh, but I, yeah, I, I would I would consider myself very open-minded when it comes to some of these things i'm also just very afraid of the paranormal so i i think that my my fear of watching the x-files definitely probably comes from my my fear my belief in the paranormal (laughs) (laughs) how about you phil um yeah i um I i would say that i do believe in the paranormal um i think a lot of similar things to Lindsay, probably. Uh, I definitely believe in a spiritual world and, and all of that. And I don't know for sure about um, about extraterrestrials, at least in the way that they have them on the X-Files, although I don't know if that totally counts as paranormal anyway. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would say that I'm a fairly open-minded person about that. I think it's, it's a difficult question to answer for anyone who hasn't necessarily you know, experienced directly something paranormal it's a very broad question normally it's a bit more enclosed as to what paranormality it is Um, yeah i will say this um in reference to the colonel mustard and mr albert watkins we we always believed that albert watkins died at the colonel mustard house oh but and and so we would talk about that and and we of course always reference him but we never experienced any paranormal activity at the colonel mustard house so I, I will say it was a house that seemed like it should be haunted, but for whatever reason, it was not. And and these things are sometimes surprising. If ever if ever there was a house that that should have been haunted by by someone, it was that one. It, it th- precisely. Yeah. So not sure what was going on there. You but, sound disappointed, um, Lindsay, that you're actually disappointed. I am. <laughs> no I <doubt>. am. <laughs> 
<laughs> One time we thought that we found a secret passage um, in the house and that was very scary and exciting. But then we realized it was just like some loose wooden panels. Oh, uh, so yeah, nothing, nothing too crazy going on there. There's enough craziness with all of our musicals. So <laughs> perhaps there's not room for anything else. <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, you know, I hope that um, maybe one day, you know, the paranormality of of the mustard house will be uh, will be proven, and Albert might show his face. <laughs> you never know. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks for that. Finally, then it's time for the X quiz. And normally, this would be based on the specific episode we're covering. But this time, because it's this special episode about the X-Files musical, the quiz is going to be on the X-Files musical. So I'm going to test you both (laughs) on your knowledge of the show that you haven't, like, probably watched or thought about much for five years. (laughs) Um, So good luck. You have (laughs) five questions that I've I've plucked out from watching the show. Are you both ready? Are we competing against each other? If you want. If if you want. Yeah, you can shout out the answer first. Everything is a competition, Lindsay. I know. I want to be on Phil's team. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, I'm ready. Great. Okay, let's go. Question one. As well as the classic I Want to Believe poster, what film poster adorns the X-Files office? Oh, God. I think I might know. Mm, Okay. Is it the... um, the Oh, I forget the name of the movie, but it's an old movie about like a woman, like the 50 foot woman or something or the attack of the 50 foot woman. Am I crazy? <laughs> it's not. That's not what I'm thinking of, but it might be in on there, but you might be able to answer that, Phil. Is it? I don't think it is, but is it Independence Day? No, that would have been good if it was, though, because of the movie where Mulder takes a piss on the Independence Day photo uh, poster. It's actually Twilight. And, oh, I remember this now. And there was a picture of Edward Cullen, <laughs> which which I That's assumed like is funny. is a hint that Scully's a bit of a Edward Cullen fangirl. I don't know I where what. Wow. I think that we were really excited when it arrived, and then we opened it and remembered that it was just a Twilight poster. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a tribute to our brilliant um, set designers and and uh, yeah production designers there because wow i don't i don't remember that at all i'm worried now that or, or none of these questions you guys are gonna <laughs> you're gonna get it, well, we're gonna get it yeah we'll we'll get we'll get one okay all right then question two name one of the two shows that chaddy chad named himself <laughs> as guest host of on his resume oh no and bonus points if you can get both As the ex-host, <laughs> as the guest, the guest host. He, he was guest host on um, two shows. <laughs> the Price is Right. Yo, you are close. You are oh, close, no. Lindsay. Family Feud. No, Phil. Well, I mean, I'm only guessing based on the fact that Aaron and I wrote part of this. Was one of them like the Fifth Wheel or something? Because we used to watch the crap out of that show. Is the fifth is the fifth wheel the same as Wheel of Fortune? Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> okay, because you were close. The fifth wheel is a terrible dating show. Okay. Because <laughs> you know we we we've got we had Wheel of Fortune in the UK and we had The Price Is Right and I think Family Feud is known as Family Fortunes in the UK. So uh, I know those shows, but uh, it was Wheel of Fortune and Temptation Island. 
Oh, do you remember Temptation Island now? (laughs) Honestly, that's a great joke, and I'm glad that someone wrote it back then. It's very funny. Uh, But I, yeah, wow. Very funny. Okay, question three. What is the mysterious man called who visits Scully in a vision and gives her advice? Now, there are are kind of two names, I think, for him (laughs) you can call him. I know this one. Go on, then. Shall we say it together? Sure. Thomas. Thomas, the, the human angel. Yes, <laughs> the doubting Thomas, as you call him, the, hu- the human. I do love the word hu- humanimangelian. Yes, <laughs> brilliant. Humanimangelian. I remember on that show. At some point while we were writing it, we got really committed to lumping as many words together as we could. <laughs> like, it was like a challenge to see what things you could connect to humanimal. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, that was a really good word. And, uh, and credit to, um, was it, uh, is it Laura who you said, you mentioned, who played Scully? Credit <laughs> yes. to her because she said that a lot. She had to say that a yeah. lot and she never fluffed that word. So, yeah, tell her well done from me. Well done. <laughs> Human, part angel, part animal, and part alien. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> okay, question four. Well done for that one. Question four. This might be a bit tricky. What does Dr. Thoreau's creature, Pedro, have? Oh. I'll give oh, you a clue. God. It's an illness. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, hemophilia? No. Phil, do you want to have a guess? I don't I don't remember at all. Okay, at one point, wow. t- right towards the end, he says that Pedro's got salmonella, and Pedro just... Oh, just right. sort of it's like a thing that he says. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Pedro just holds his stomach and looks in pain. Um. <laughs> that is right, because I think, was Pedro a snail or something? I There's like so. some animal... Yeah, he's a snail, so I think that you can get salmonella from a snail. Am I just making that up? I, I don't know where that came from. I don't know. But, Aaron wrote that line. I, I think we, we ought to get that, like, you know, out there as a possible medical fact. You can get salmonella from a snail. That sounds that sounds so stupid as I say it out loud, but I think in my heart of hearts, I believe that you can get salmonella from a snail. <laughs> uh, we need to get people believing that, if it's true or not. Okay, finally then, question five. You will get this one because it, w- it was mentioned earlier. What book is Thomas reading when he visits Scully at the end? Right, The Da Vinci Code, of yeah, course. Yeah, there you go. And it makes me uh, laugh because he comes in, doesn't he? And he says, should we go for coffee? Look, I'm reading this book. Do you want, we go? And she says, if, if I say maybe, will you leave? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, yeah. I think it's funny because Thomas certainly represents like a certain breed of like quasi intellectual person that we would meet frequently at college. And he like, I think because we were in college at the time or or had just recently graduated from college, that's why we created that character, Thomas, Um, like the guy who just wants to talk about ideas and like talk about this stuff, but never really like do anything in his life. (laughs) And, um, uh yeah so and i think also maybe the da vinci code had come out more recently at that time so it was more of like a hot topic for people to be talking about at college yeah it was yeah it's uh it's just a funny book though now whenever someone brings it out is. the da vinci it just it just makes you laugh <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a great reference yeah this has been really fun to walk down memory lane i feel like i need to rewatch the the musical 
Well, I think you should. It's uh, and and out of out of five, you've both scored two. That's not too bad considering <laughs> it's been That's like great. five years. <laughs> Feels pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Cool, that's that's about it then, really. I just want to thank you both for your time and uh, for talking about uh, X-Files the Musical. It's been really fun, so thank you very much. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. No, it's, it's been great. So so let's... Um, where, can, where can we find you guys and Colonel Mustard online? Is, is, is there a website? Is there a Twitter? Where can people find out more? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, you, can, you can check out more Colonel Mustard stuff at www.thecolonelmustard.com make sure you get that the in there and uh, we are on Twitter um, sometimes and we also have a pretty active Facebook group so if you just search for Colonel Mustard Theater on Facebook you'll find us there is an X-Files the Musical group I believe it is closed but if you request to join it we will grant your request and uh, you can check out um Vi- our, our videos we also have a youtube channel which i believe is colonel mustard uh theater and um yeah we we hope that um uh maybe we can revisit some x-files material again someday but oh i should also mention that we have a band camp channel where you can listen to the x-files soundtrack oh awesome so um Maybe I can send you that link and you can post it with the podcast or something like oh, that. But um, if you just Google Bandcamp and X Files the Musical, it's sure to come up. Great. That would be really fun to listen to them independently. So, yeah, that'd be really, really good. Thank you. Um, do check out Colonel Mustard, guys, especially for uh, American listeners, because I know we do have a few. So, if you're in, if you're around Nebraska and these shows are on, go and see them definitely check it check out the the website and the twitter and facebook and everything like that i'm i'm envious that you guys are lucky enough in the u.s to potentially go and see these shows it's it'd be, it'd be difficult for me to get a flight <laughs> and do that hey um, you can come visit us someday well a, thank just you just a direct flight to lincoln nebraska <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um do check these guys out it's been really fun to talk to you both you can find us on twitter at the X underscore cast on Facebook at the X cast. Uh, we're on iTunes. If you just subscribe there, just type in the X cast, do subscribe, do leave us a, a five star review if possible, or just a review would be nice just to get more people knowing about uh, our show. And uh, we'll be going back into more of the uh, episodes in season one and any uh, nominations for future seasons we've got as we go through um, the show. So uh, once again, big thanks guys. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Well, so fun. Um, Awesome. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time, guys. And remember, trust no one. Conspiracy is our lonely mission. mission. (laughs) Do you want to know how brains work? How to screw with people's heads? It's all a conspiracy. Governments use mind control Waters laced with Demerol They may have your sis already Alien brainwashing would be quite strong She might believe she's been a goose all along But it's harder to explain Her physical condition Extraterrestrial Technological Biomechanical
Hey, Mulder. Can I see a picture of her? Yep. <laughs> okay, Mulder. What the? Duck man. seen a man who has a tail of webbed hands and wondered how it came to be. How it came to Monster be. weirdo sideshow freak. More sinister than you think. It's all a conspiracy. First you take some modern science. DNA Then you find a very twisted dude Give him funding, build a lab He'll do research on your tab And he'll make humanimals for you We know the Nazis tried it Yeah, we know Hitler would do something like that, yeah make a joke on this one yeah, I guess <laughs> but me I have my doubts now there's a crazy doctor he lives in Massachusetts and he's mixing people with animals yes he's making humanity